We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Inside Moves on December 19, 1980. It was written by Valerie Curtin and Barry Levinson, based on the novel by Todd Walton, directed by Richard Donner, and released by Associated Film Distribution. In 1978, Todd Walton's novel Inside Moves was published, and film rights were later acquired by Paramount, though Paramount had dropped out as distributor by the time the production began. Bizarrely, at the same time as they were shooting the film, Donner was filming a less violent, family-friendly version for television. The film was awarded an R rating, but was appealed down to a PG. Donner agreed to shoot this film to get his mind off having been fired from Superman 2, in Max's bar, a Superman pinball machine is visible, yeah. depicting Christopher Reeves as Superman. I'm sure it's just Donner's personal pinball machine. Mm -hmm. Max's bar was constructed in a garage in the Echo Park area and was based on New York City's oldest bar, McSorley's Old Ale House. On set, Donner repeatedly referred to cinematographer Laszlo Kovacs as fellow Hungarian cinematographer Vilmos Sigmund. <laughs> As a result, Laszlo invited Sigmund to the set, and they wore shirts that read, My name is not Laszlo, and my name is not Vilmos. <laughs> Halfway through the day, they traded shirts to confuse people more. <laughs> Without a distributor, Donner brought two half-hour sections of the film to Cannes in May of 1980 and was able to score a deal with Associated Film Distribution. Diana Scarwood scored a Best Actress in a Supporting Role nomination at the Oscars. Really? Yeah, yeah I don't get that. I, I do, I think. We open on a 20-story building downtown, and we see a man named Rory strutting into the lobby. I can't tell if he already has a limp going or not. It no. It seems like there's some weird sh moving to I, it. I, I feel like he's trying to be nonchalant, but trying too hard to be nonchalant. Yeah. He takes the elevator to the 10th floor and wanders down the halls until he finds an empty conference room with an open window. He stands in the open window and then jumps out into traffic. We see five or six angles of his descent from the 10th floor in slow motion until he crashes through a tree and eventually slams violently on the hood of a Pontiac. This reminded me of the scene in uh, Batman Begins when he's got the guy over the roof. He's like, a fall from this height won't kill me. I'm counting on it. Cool. <laughs> you need to go higher. That was Eric Roberts, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of when, was it Dave Chappelle's body gets thrown out of the plane in Con Air? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We cut to Rory being loaded into an ambulance by director Richard Donner. Suddenly, I, I knew it. <laughs> like, as soon as I saw that door close, I think that's Richard Donner. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly the letters of the film's title start tetrising into place. It's a very strange way to bring these words into frame. We see Rory in various stages of surgery and hear a nurse mention that he's been here for eight months. We hear him trying to remember simple facts from his childhood. Pets, his mother's maiden name, his former addresses. We see Rory discharged from the hospital and carrying a briefcase while he walks sort of diagonally with a lurch in his step. He moves into a private room somewhere and asks a man in the lobby if there's a bar around here. The guy points him to Max's just out the door on the right. He says a lot of guys from the hospital drink there. So I'm assuming when he means the hospital, he doesn't mean like like a traditional hospital. It's like a rehabilitation right. yes, for what, people who have injuries hospital. That's what I thought. Uh, on his way there, he's grabbed by a prostitute, asking if he wants company. He doesn't seem to. She keeps bringing her price down. $20? You look like you could use it. Rory seems terrified by the automatic door to the bar. He's greeted with a warm smile by Jerry, the bartender. Even gives him a free beer to start. Well, I, I will admit that the door is frightening since it goes whoosh. Yeah. Every time it opens, it's like, uh... Well, they just have normal opening doors. Well, <laughs> I assume because of, here. yeah, I was gonna say, I assume because of all the people who need assistance that they yeah. right. just installed but a special door. I, even in the '80s, I don't remember supermarket doors going. Whoosh, it also scares rats away. 
Rory moves to inspect the jukebox at the place while a table full of regulars play cards behind him. One of them is blind and yet still calling out people for cheating. In the lobby of his building that night, we see Rory adjusting the screws in his leg brace. The next day, by chance, he catches Jerry, the bartender, schooling a bunch of neighborhood players on a basketball court. We get another moment with the three older guys from the bar, Wings, Blue Lewis, and Stinky. They're talking about a Dillinger movie that was playing at a theater the night before, and Stinky says they probably changed the ending. They probably didn't have the real ending, though, did they? What real ending? The man dies in the alley. Dillinger's pecked us in a jar at the Smithsonian. His schlong. It's in a jar. What is it doing in a jar? Well, it's 16 inches long, for Christ's sake. It's in there with the spirit of St. Louis and everything. It's, it's like a national treasure. What kind of jar did they use? Because if they use a mayonnaise jar or something like that, they'd have to bend it in order to get it in there. Can they do that? <laughs> this is the greatest conversation ever. I love ever. every conversation they have. Rory overhears their conversation and is quick to dispel the rumor. He's been there and he asked a guard and they don't have Dillinger's dick. But I liked that the guy pointed out that if they actually had it, that they would spend the time to find the right size jar. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't use a mayonnaise jar for that. But then uh, Sticky's excuse for it wasn't there when, when Rory asked was, Probably a toy. You know, like the, the King Tut stuff. They do that. But I'm going to have a hard time not including every line that Stinky has because he's so great. <laughs> but the King Tut stuff is not going to be on tour for much longer. That's true because Egypt is like, Egypt is baby, that I'm down. coming home. Yeah. So go out and see it. Doesn't want him to get COVID. That's right. When the bar opens, everyone rolls in immediately. Jerry limps in from his morning basketball game and moves to shake Rory's hand, recognizing him from the day before. Jerry asks Rory what happened to his leg, and Rory asks Jerry the same question back, not wanting to answer since they both have limps. Jerry asks if he's a card player and then turns to the table to see if they can use another hand. Wings, one of the three older men, raises his two hook hands, for which he has probably earned his nickname, and says, Another hand? Yeah, I can use two. <laughs> Once Rory gets seated at the table, they let Stinky the blind guy deal the cards, and he's just flinging them up in the air randomly. They're just, like, bouncing off each other's heads. Another patron is selling photographs of nude women at the bar, and he offers them to one guy for $50 and then the next guy for 55 blaming inflation for the price increase. Eventually, the card players get around to asking Rory what happened, and he limits his answer at first to, I've been in the hospital for a while. When they all stare at him waiting for an elaboration, he eventually chokes out. I jumped off a building and tried to commit suicide. Stinky tries to lighten the mood. Oh, asshole, you got it all backwards. First you get crippled, then you try to commit suicide. <laughs> Sticky has a sweet moment here where he puts his hand on Rory's head and apologizes for calling him an asshole in the punchline to his joke just now. Rory obviously tells him that it's fine, and they seem very close already. The prostitute from earlier, nicknamed Mouse apparently, because that's what he calls her when she walks in. He's mm -hmm. like, oh, hey, Mouse. Apparently she is also Jerry's girlfriend. Although she's everybody's girlfriend. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's, he knows she's a prostitute, Correct. though. It's, yeah. not a, it's not like it's a secret. But Rory is very distracted to see them together, and Wing says, yeah, that's Jerry's girl. And Rory asks if Jerry knows she's a prostitute, and they say, yeah, but he thinks he loves her. Fellow bartender Bert and owner Max argue over the piling bills for the bar. Max refuses to raise prices to save the bar because everyone in the neighborhood is on a fixed income. Jerry has tickets to a Warriors game tonight, and he's asking patrons if they're interested in joining him. A few people pass until Rory accepts the invitation. At the game later, Jerry seems to have some insanely good seats. He's shouting at the players, specifically his favorite team, the Warriors, all through their warm-ups, and they're just flipping him off because they want him to shut up. They're tired of listening to him. Rory's a little nervous at all the attention they're drawing for shouting at the team, but Jerry assures him that the players never come into the stands. Don't worry about it. Jerry starts harassing a specific player, Alvin Martin, about his three-pointers, and the player shoots back, Hey, shut up, Mouth. Jerry points at Martin and says, I love him. Hey, shut up, Mouth. Hey. I love him. Like, that's his favorite <laughs> player that he's giving all this shit to. 
When the game has officially begun, Rory seems interested in the girl sitting on the other side of Jerry and asks if she's always here. Jerry says, why don't you ask her? But when he taps on her shoulder, Rory gets shy and doesn't want to say anything. The Warriors are down a point when the clock runs out and Alvin Martin doesn't take the final shot. Jerry is extremely disappointed about it. Alvin Martin is booed on his way off the court. Martin is stopped by a sports reporter just down the hall, and while they're recording an interview, Jerry interrupts to accuse Alvin Martin of having choked at the last second and lost his team the game. Some of the other Warriors start shoving Jerry around because they're tired of him harassing Alvin. Eventually, Alvin is coaxed away from his friends to argue with Jerry up close. Jerry says he could beat him on the court one-on-one, -on -one, and Alvin says, All right, I'll be here tomorrow for practice. Why don't you come here and we'll play a game? When Alvin finally steps away, Rory and Jerry are escorted out by security. I feel like I would not offer to meet this dude that for sure is ab abusive on my own when there's not security guards around. Yeah. We cut right to practice the next day and Jerry is ready to compete. Alvin notices that he's limping a bit on his way in and asks if he hurt himself. At first, Alvin thinks that he's trying to get out of their one-on-one -on -one contest and offers him an out. Hey, look, man, I don't want to play you if you got something wrong. There's nothing wrong with my leg. While Jerry laces up, Alvin asks why he has to be so mean when the team's not doing well. I mean, we love you when we're winning. We love you out there yelling and screaming when we're hot. But, man, you come down on us so hard when we get behind. Alvin gives him one last chance to back out of the game before they take the court. Jerry scores the first point, and Alvin is already pissed off. Jerry is taking exclusively three pointers and nailing all of them. He's up five shots before seemingly hurting his leg and taking a foul. Now they're trading back and forth in their scoring, and eventually Jerry gets the score up to 9-7. Alvin catches up 9-9, and then Jerry misses a shot, and Alvin makes the next one to end the game. On his way out, Alvin tells Jerry that he could have beat him with Rory's hands and that he doesn't play hard against cripples. Once Alvin's gone, though, Jerry starts celebrating his almost win immediately. He's very proud of what he's accomplished on the court. Jerry asks Rory not to tell the guys what happened because he doesn't think that they'll believe it. Rory asks if Jerry is sure that surgery won't solve his leg problem. Jerry says he did surgery when he was young and all it did was he had to take physical therapy after it. It didn't, it didn't solve the problem. Jerry agrees that there's probably a better surgical solution now, but it would cost too much money and so it's practically irrelevant. Jerry and Rory get back to Jerry's apartment and they can hear his girlfriend Anne screaming inside. Jerry enters the apartment to interrupt two men hassling Anne. Anne is Mouse, by the way, the prostitute. We've referred to her as Mouse in the first scene, and now we're learning her real name. This is my house. And that's my girl you're fooling with. Whatever you paid her, I'll see you get it back. Rory pops in through the back door to surround the guys. They insist that she came on to them, which she's been doing in this movie. Yeah. Jerry asks where she put the money she took from these men, and she claims they didn't pay her yet. But the guys insist that they won't leave without their $25. They pull a knife on Jerry and a second on Rory, but Jerry gives them five seconds to leave, completely unintimidated by the knives. The men leave without incident, but Rory is panicked and sweating when they're gone. Jerry asks Anne what happened, but she's totally out of it on drugs and can't even answer the question. Jerry tries to break it off with her because he can't come home to dudes with knives all the time. He tucks some cash into her hands and tells her to leave. Awkwardly, Jerry exits and abandons Rory in the living room with his doped-up girlfriend. Yeah. It's like, why am I still in here? Back at the bar, Blue Louie is reading a romance novel to Stinky, but he seems to run into trouble when he gets to the word areolas. <laughs> Orioles? Are you killing the story? A large brown Orioles? Well, well did he eat that to cookies? Bar owner Max complains of some discomfort. Wings, Stinky, and Lou head out for lunch, but insanely the blind guy is in charge of pushing the wheelchair guy. As they move down the sidewalk, a woman outside starts flirting with Lou, and he flirts back as they roll by. Did you recognize this woman? Uh, now I'm trying to think. I, I feel like there was someone in this movie that I did recognize, but I didn't make a note of it. She is in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Aha! Big Bertha! The bounce at the boom boom bar! I should have caught that. As they cross the street, Lou drops his dirty book and stops to reach for it when a car nearly clips them. The car had plenty of time to slow down yeah. and just didn't stop for this wheelchair moving across the street. We cut directly to Max being wheeled out of the bar on a gurney. Apparently he had a heart attack and he also just got a foreclosure notice on the bar because he owes $11,000. 
At the hospital, Rory asks Jerry what they should do about it, and Jerry says they'll just have to find another bar, which is the first hint we get that Jerry's kind of a dick. Yeah. Rory suggests that they buy the place and stupidly admits to having $10,000 in savings. Jerry is ecstatic to learn this because combined with his savings, it's enough to pay for his leg surgery. Rory Which he said he didn't want before. Yeah, and that it was completely out of reach financially forever. Until he found out that he had this cash cow standing yeah. right next to him. But why would this random dude pay for your surgery anyways? I don't know. This is dumb. Yeah, he, they barely he, know each other. They've he, known each other for two days. Because it's just a bar. Don't you want me to have my dream, Rory, guy I just met? Rory insists that they can raise enough money at the bar to pay for his operation after they've bought the place. And Jerry gets violent, pounding on this things. This bar that's going under and yeah. needs yeah. to sell, you're going to make a bunch of money at. Well, I, I don't think that they're buying it outright. I think they're they're buying the debt. And so to speak, like they're they're offering to pay his debt for like a partnership. Yeah, they want a stake. But it makes it works because stupidly Jerry's last name is Maxwell, and this is Max's place. Right, mm-hmm. but <laughs> like why? But you... Maxwell is also not the one putting up the money. So if anyone's else's name is going to be on I, there, I know. I just it just really bothered me that you're going to name this place Max's and your lead character's name last name is Maxwell. Maxwell. Yeah. But that's not why the place is Max's because yeah. the guy that owns the place was named Max. Wait, that's not why he's named <laughs> Armand Hammer. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a bar. I'm talking about my life. It's not just a bar. Carry its family. I wonder if this movie had any inkling of a hand in inspiring cheers, a bar full of misfits led by an injured sports star turned bartender. Eventually, Jerry concedes that Rory is correct, that the bar is more important, and in the bar they have brought on a new waitress, and now... Rory is serving food in the bar so that the patrons don't have to almost get hit by cars on their way somewhere else. The old guys are reading the sports pages and share with Jerry that Alvin Martin is getting $3 million a year and has a shot at Rookie of the Year this year. Jerry is obviously pissed because he practically beat Martin with a bum leg and is distracted enough by this information to fuck up a drink order, but Bert catches it, the other bartender. Jerry blows up at Bert and then runs to the back room to rebandage his knee. Something has come loose and he has to adjust the bandage. Rory comes back to check on him and insists that his operation won't be too much longer. It'll be forever. Jerry laments having spent thousands of dollars trying to help Anne out of her addiction. I'm breaking my back. I'm working two jobs. I am no better off than when I first met her. And she's worse. Jerry says everything he touches turns to shit. And Rory says, I didn't turn to shit. <laughs> and then Jerry says... Well, that's because you already are shit, Rory. I didn't have to do a thing. (laughs) Such a dick. The next day, Rory stops by Jerry's place to check on him, and Anne is there. Apparently, she showed up this morning. Rory was there to check and see if Jerry could cover someone's shift at the bar, and he quickly agrees. He says, oh, it's no big deal because I plan on quitting my second job anyway because I need to spend more time with Anne. So this second job that we didn't even know about yet. Right. Now he's quitting it so that he can spend more time with the girlfriend who yesterday he regretted wasting all of his money on. Right. Later, we see Lucius Porter enter the bar and everybody shuts up. Stinky's confused what's going on and Jerry isn't paying attention, so he doesn't realize that Lucius is here yet. Lucius wants to collect back a family ring. It's an heirloom that Anne took from him. He asks where he can find her, but the best Jerry can offer to do is to return the ring himself but he assumes that she's already pawned it because. And and Lucius is very gracious about this whole situation. Yeah. He takes off his hat and shakes his hand and all he wants back is this thing. Yeah. And he's like, oh, wow, that was a real ring, huh? Yeah, I bet she already sold it. But if she didn't, I'll find it and I'll get it back to you. It is of infinite worth and I want it back. Oh, well, then I'll get it for you. I think she's probably already hawked it. But if she hasn't, I'll get it for you. Lucius threatens Jerry's life, and that's what pushes him over the line. Jerry tells him that they don't allow that kind of talk in Max's, and he orders them out of the bar. Lucius makes some big threats about them meeting up in the not-too-distant future. We cut to Jerry, bringing home flowers for Anne that night. She's packing a suitcase because she's already decided that coming here was a mistake. She tells him Lucius is on his way, and that she'll be leaving with him. She complains that Jerry doesn't have enough money to satisfy her needs 
that she still has to hook on the side to make ends meet when she's with him, but that Lucius takes care of her financially. Just then, Lucius shows up. I'm in trouble. Right? Lucius walks Anne out of the place while his two goons beat Jerry mercilessly in another room. Anne asks Lucius not to hurt Jerry too badly, but he doesn't call off his men. Back in Max's, Bert wants to know where Jerry is because he's never been late before. Rory volunteers to check on him at home, and along the way, police noticed him stumbling down the sidewalk and assume he's drunk until they get him in a spotlight and he calls out to them, Oh, it's me, Rory! And they're like, Oh, it's this guy. He just walks like that. Apparently, this isn't the, the first time they've mistaken him for a drunk person. Yeah, but the, the, the cops, the local cops also know him because they come into the bar later. Right. Rory finds the door open. Always a good sign. We had this last episode. But Jerry's not dead in a hot tub. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He finds Jerry alive, not in a hot tub. <laughs> Beaten, almost unconscious. His mouth is swollen. He's covered in blood. His face has cuts all over it. So they put him in a hot tub. So they put him in a hot tub and <laughs> shoot him to death. <laughs> Jerry refuses to be taken to a hospital. Rory tries to get him cleaned up, and we cut to Louise cutting Lou's hair on the roof of the bar. Obviously, this is the roof of the home in Echo Park where they were shooting for the bar. <laughs> they keep adding boat horns in the background to make this feel more like the San Francisco Bay Area, but I'm not falling for it. Yeah. Uh, also, it, it's such a strange setup because, like, the roof is at street level. Yeah, because it's just a hilly area. Mm hmm. Rory shows up and tells the guys in Louise that he's worried about Jerry. He says the other day he was giving Jerry a bath and he dunked him as a joke, but Jerry didn't fight it at all or even respond. Louise finishes Lou's hair and awards him a lollipop for his patience because he was such a good boy. She asks if she can cut Rory's hair and immediately the other guys are all mocking them. Oh, no, you don't. You have nice Whoa, hair. Oh, there's going to be sex. I can tell. <laughs> Maybe some other time, Louise. Some other time. Oh, some other time. I meant my hair. We cut to Rory helping Jerry with another bath. He reads to him from a magazine about Alvin Martin making $3 million a season. I don't know why you're reading him this again, yeah. especially in his current state. But by his math, this means that Jerry would be earning $2.6 million to $2.7 million, somewhere in that range, considering they finished their face off either 9 to 10 or 9 to 11. Rory moves to scrub Jerry's feet and tries to cheer him up with weird jokes. I think I'm getting a boner. <laughs> oh, sorry. Didn't mean to make you smile. Ultimately, Rory is unsuccessful in cheering him up and comes up with another plan. We cut to Rory and the old guys riding in a car to Alvin Martin's home. Stinky explains the scene outright. What are you going to do? Go inside and ask Alvin Martin for the money to pay for Jerry's surgery? So what's it going to be? You going to ask Alvin Martin for the money for Jerry's I operation? Didn't say I wasn't yeah, going. what are you going to say to Martin? <laughs> yes. Yep. That's what we just said. <laughs> the whole drive over here. We get some of that classic blind racist shtick when Stinky is surprised to learn that there are two Asian American gardeners. Japanese? Yeah. I thought Martin was a spade. Don't use that word when there's another spade in the car. What? There's a Negro in this car? There are several Negroes in this car. Have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, the implication <laughs> that he doesn't know that he himself is black. <laughs> but also that he would know if he looked in a mirror, even though he is a blind man. We cut right from Rory introducing himself to Mr. Martin to Jerry's bathtub, where Alvin Martin is now dunking Jerry unexpectedly from behind. But this time... Jerry pops up out of the water very quickly, surprised by it. And uh, Alvin's like, oh, I guess you're not so suicidal then. He informs Jerry that he has agreed to loan him the money for the operation. Obviously, Jerry is not interested in accepting charity, except from his friend Rory. That's fine. Yeah. You give me $10,000, but I don't want this millionaire to do it. So, I mean, because the surgery then can't, has to cost between ten and, I would assume, ten and $20,000. Right. Somewhere in that range. Obviously, Jerry's not interested in accepting charity, but Martin points out that he wouldn't even be here if Jerry hadn't almost beat him in the one-on-one. -on -one. I like the arguments that he makes here. First, he says, well, you almost beat me, so I know it's it's not a terrible investment to fix your legs because mm -hmm. maybe that was all that was holding you back from beating me, and then you'd be able to earn a full paycheck in the NBA. But also, he says that your story's really not even sad compared to what I hear from people like, oh, you have a slight limp, and yeah. you're still better at basketball than 99% of people poor guy 
So it's not charity because it's like, I don't feel sorry for you. This That's not the point. Alvin asks for Jerry's final answer, and when he refuses to respond, Alvin throws on the shower to blast Jerry in the face before walking out. On his way down the stairs, he tells Jerry that he's sending a car tomorrow. Jerry and Rory talk about his upcoming surgery and his chances of going semi-pro. Jerry asks Rory to accompany him for the surgery, but Rory's like, uh, I don't know, I've been really busy, and I'm not sure I'm totally up to it. But then Jerry's like, please, I want you to come. And he says, okay, fine, I'll ride with you to the hospital. And then Jerry adjusts the request a little bit to say, no, what I want you to do is I'm going to go up and then you come up after on your own and make it seem like a surprise because I don't want people to know that I need your help. And Rory is smart enough to be insulted by this, but agrees to do it anyway. In the bar one night, Rory is writing a letter to Jerry and asks Louise if apparently ends with an L-Y or an L-E-Y. She asks who he's writing to and he says Jerry. He then elaborates to fill us in that they haven't heard from him in months, which she would obviously already know. This is where you can see the Superman pinball machine in the background. Mm -hmm. Rory reads her his note so far. Tell me how it sounds. Dear Jerry. Yeah. I just wanted to get your impression about the opening there. In case you've forgotten, my name is Rory. How are you? I used to be your best friend, or so you said. Now, that's not too angry, is it? No, no, that's fine. All right. Go ahead. I'm sure you're working very hard, and apparently you're very busy, but I would appreciate hearing from you, hearing about your recuperation and how life is treating you. Stinky says hello. So does Wings. So does Blue Lewis. And Stinky has a girlfriend named Claire. She looks like Shirley Temple, but older. I think mainly she and Stinky have a good thing going sexually, but <clears throat> Blue Lewis doesn't have to read in porno anymore. She does. Louise is a doll. Oh. What? What'd you I, say? The rest of this stuff is just guy talk. Is I that more titty talk no, there? Let me see I just, that. I tell him that you're doing a good job and how pretty you are. Thank you. No problem. Rory seems certain that Jerry will come back at some point. He's just experiencing his dream and he needs to spend more time with his dream. Louise asks Rory what his dream is and suggests he spend some time figuring it out. Rory tells her to get back to doing the dishes as a joke. Oh no. no. Must I? I'm only kidding. We cut to a Christmas party at the bar under a huge banner that says, Welcome home, Jerry. People keep asking Rory where the hell Jerry is and he keeps telling them that he'll be here. Just wait for it. Jerry stops by outside and peeks in the window from the rain but turns to leave. Stinky asks his girlfriend what's going on, and she says that Rory and Louise are dancing. Stinky moves across the room to change out the music they're dancing to, something slower, more romantic. A pair of police enter the bar during the slow dance, and Max and a regular customer turn around to face them. I like it's like, that's not a drug dog, is it? <laughs> hey, this ain't no drug dog, is it? At the end of the song, they start playing around with some mistletoe, and force Rory and Louise to kiss multiple times. The second time it lasts for a while, and it seems like they're both enjoying it. Stinky's girlfriend is really enjoying them kissing, and it's adorable. She's just like, oh, he's kissing her, he's kissing her. Finally, Bert has to break the kiss up. When they're closing up the bar at night, it's clear that Jerry's never showed up, at least not inside, and Rory tells everyone to just leave the mess where it is and they'll clean it up in the morning. Rory walks Louise to the door and tells her that she can sleep in tomorrow. Oh, may I? <laughs> you get some rest, too. Yeah, have a Merry Christmas. You do, too. Good night, Louise. He nearly kisses her when the phone rings, and of course it's Jerry, forcing Rory to get into a taxi and drive to where he is mm -hmm. instead of visiting the bar where he knew everyone was waiting for him. Which is weird, because they go to, like, a restaurant. Yeah. And it, this I would assume that this bar is probably closing at, like, two in the morning at this yeah. point. Well, it also seems like they're pretty close to Christmas here. Yeah, I think it not. is Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah. When he gets there, Jerry is standing in the doorway of a bar and he's speaking to Rory on the sidewalk standing in the rain and he makes him wait in the rain while he shows off how how well his legs work. Like, look, I'm not at all like you anymore. Check it out. I can do tap dancing, except for you're the one in the rain. Jerry tells Rory about his progress and that Alvin works out with him every day. But the big announcement is that he's been drafted by a semi-pro team officially. He asks if Rory can make it to his game on Thursday, and Rory says he'll be there Wednesday, and he'll bring all the guys. Jerry says, why don't you hold off on bringing the guys, because I don't want to fuck up in front of everybody for my first game. He tells Rory that 
He's worried he'd be too nervous with them there. Rory asks if he can at least bring Louise, and at first Jerry can't even remember who he's talking about. Jerry can tell that this is a request of a romantic nature, and he tells Rory, yeah, you know what, bring her. Back at the bar, the night of his first game, the older guys are complaining that they weren't invited. Blue Lewis says, we've known him longer than Rory has, why, do, why does Rory get invited and we don't? Rory offers not to go, but they all tell him, nah, somebody's got to go. Rory communicates the same excuse to the guys that Jerry gave him. You know, he's just worried he won't play at full strength with everybody watching, and he doesn't want to fuck up in front of everybody. Louise is bringing candy and food and like a full-size camera with a flashbulb and everything. Stinky asks Wings what's on his plate. You got a potato at 6 o'clock, you got succotash at 9 o'clock, and you got a steak at high noon. I don't like succotash at 9 o'clock. I, I think, I think the, the punchline of that joke should have been that Wings rotates the plate like 90 degrees. Oh yeah, that would have been funny. <laughs> we cut to the game, and Alvin is sitting in the bleachers with Rory and Louise, and Jerry is just racking up points like crazy on the court. He falls hard once, and everyone cringes like he's re-injured himself, but eventually he stands and gives them a thumbs up. He's okay. Rory thanks Alvin for essentially saving his friend's life. Rory walks Louise to her door, and they're being very sing-songy and silly while she's getting it unlocked. They drop like a bag of oranges as they're stepping through the door, and Rory tells her that he had a good time. Suddenly, Rory goes in for a kiss, and they hold it for a minute, but he can tell that she's not into it. She tells him to go away, and he immediately agrees to and backs off. He apologizes and says he just got caught up in the moment and they should remain friends. But he insists that they talk this out. He understands that this has to do with his being a cripple. And he says that he loves her as a friend and he's not going to mope around the whole rest of his life just because she's not into him. So we won't be lovers. Big deal. He continues to blame the moment that he was caught up in and then asks, are we still going to have that cup of coffee? <sighs> but of course. Come on in. Pick up the oranges. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like the I like her line read. She's so cute and she's she's being all silly with everything that she says for the whole movie. It just uh, when she's not like doing the drama scenes. Yeah. I, I I thought it was actually a really adorable performance. I'm surprised she's not in more stuff. While he collects the oranges, Louise moves to the kitchen and starts crying again. She tells Rory that she does love him. He thinks she's just saying she loves him as a friend also. But she wants to elaborate. She admits that she does want to be his lover, but that she's frightened by his crippledness. And she worries that if they tried it and it didn't work out, that she'd be breaking his heart. Mm. And she appreciates having him as a friend and doesn't want to ruin it. All of that is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't even understand where she's coming from. Like, I'm, a, I'm scared of you being a cripple. Well, I mean... I guess her assumption is that he wouldn't be able to perform in a way that she'd, you know, find satisfactory. I don't know, but... Isn't that a danger with anyone that you are dating? Yeah, well, but also there's plenty of ways to be intimate with somebody that that you don't, like, He maybe he can't, but... It does remind me of uh, <laughs> Rough Cut, though, earlier this year. When he's like, oh, no, yeah, you know, a war injury. I've got all these straps I have to put on to have sex. It's it's a whole thing. You don't have to worry about it. Let me try. No, no, no. It wouldn't be any good. You see, I, uh, I'd have to strap things on. Besides, all my batteries are dead. Be a mess. See, I, I, I thought it was more of that getting in a long-term relationship with this person and having to provide care for a human being. Like that, I think that's a scary thing. I think that's thinking further ahead than they talk about here, though. It seems like her fear is literally just of his condition. Mm. Yeah. Which seems strange to me that we're supposed to sympathize with his character later on, but we do. Well, uh, I don't sympathize with her later on, no. for sure. Yeah. But also, I mean, like, you're having an honest conversation now. Like, that's all you would need to do in the future if things aren't working well. Just yeah. keep being honest. Yeah, and is it any less painful to never try and right, right now say, I'm not going to do it because it might not work out? That's like, I bought this scratcher, but I'm worried that I didn't win, so I'm going to throw it away. It's like, what? Why don't you scratch it at least first? Rory is surprisingly understanding of her reservations. He completely understands where she's coming from and takes the rejection at face value. He agrees that it would hurt him a lot to lose her as a friend, and she cries more and they hug it out. Back at Max's bar, Blue Lewis is trying to calculate Jerry's points per game average. 
based on his own tabulations, and he's getting an average of 28.4 points across 15 games. They're watching a sports channel on the bar TV when the sportscaster starts talking about Jerry and that he's just been signed to the Warriors. The television announces his points per game as 26, and Blue Lewis is quick to correct them from his bar stool. We cut right to a dinner date with Rory and Louise on one side of the table and Jerry on the other side, and I'm already worried for where this is going. Yeah. Immediately. Jerry is an asshole. Yeah. He's sharing with them the details of his cartilage surgery. He jokes that someone else in the hospital at the same time was looking to have cartilage removed from his nose, and so they just took it and put it into his knee, and eventually he breaks and everybody's laughing about it. Rory accidentally... It's a terrible joke. Well, but I... But like, I don't... Yeah. It's not it's, funny. It's not funny, no. Yeah, but, I, but I like that she laughs, and then Rory goes, see, she got it right away. I had to think about it for yeah, a long he was time. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's pretty smart. <laughs> uh, Rory accidentally spills some wine as the waitress walks by, and he blames her being cute for the mistake, and then Jerry says, I can't get over how beautiful Louise is. Well, thank you. And it's very awkward for everyone. The whole table goes silent for a moment. And she tries to take this compliment as passively as she can. Rory keeps pushing Jerry to commit to visiting Max's at some point, but he's still resisting. We cut to later at Louise's home, where she is shampooing Rory's hair in a sink, and they move outside to let it dry. On the porch, she admits to Rory that she's been seeing Jerry romantically for a couple weeks now. Rory is understandably upset and leaves. Yeah, well, there's a couple, there's a whole bunch of things problem that I have with this whole situation, not with the movie, but one, she's just shampooed his hair and didn't notice the whole time from the time he arrived. That he to, was completely clean shaven. Yeah, it was like, how did you not notice that right away? Um, Apparently, and, it just goes by people because Jerry makes the same mistake later. Yeah, but um, but yeah, then when she, she admits this and he's upset and leaves and she goes, Rory please come on yeah. like i was like what yeah what is no. your problem evidently or obviously i guess it was jerry's idea to keep their relationship secret for the first couple weeks as rory's leaving louise is calling after him as though he's being silly for being upset about this yeah. even though he's already explained his love for her and she's essentially returned all of the yeah. affections except for the physical part of being in a relationship and but technically, though, they aren't in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. I mean, technically. Yeah, I there guess. There are two people who love each other who are, she's scared of having sex with him because he's, he's a cyborg. And they agreed to be friends, so technically she's a single woman who should be allowed to have this relationship, but it's weird that she kept it secret for two weeks. Yeah. It should have just been, hey, how would you feel if, and then if he says, well, I wouldn't be cool with it, and then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it if she wants to. It's not like she was swearing an oath of abstinence to him or something. We see Rory standing on the dock in the middle of Echo Park Lake, where earlier this year we tried to catch that alligator, and we crossfade from the lake to the building that he jumped out of at the start of the film. We cut to the end of a warrior's practice as the team is heading back into the lockers, and suddenly Rory calls out to Jerry from the dark courtside seats. Jerry tells Rory that he'll play his first game with the warriors the next night. Rory says he won't have time to find a mascot costume because clearly this is how Jerry sees him. Rory finally tells Jerry what an awful friend he's been. Yeah. Not just to Rory, but to everyone that he's encountered at the bar. This is a great monologue. Yeah. Rory says that he's taken all the shit that he's ever going to take from Jerry and he's done with it. Jerry asks if this is about Louise and Rory says, don't even talk about her. This has nothing to do with her. This is about what you've done for your entire life. And eventually Rory decides that he's actually kind of grateful for what a terrible friend Jerry was because it finally pushed him to stand up for himself, which he's never done in his life. Rory tells Jerry what a joke his entire life has been, climaxing when he failed to kill himself by jumping off of a 10-story building and landing on a car only to survive. Jerry says he's sorry that he never knew that, which is a great example of what a terrible friend is yeah. because Stinky knew about this five seconds after meeting him but it never occurred to Jerry to even ask a second time. No, seriously, what happened to your leg? Rory admits that when he did kill himself or try to, that it wasn't because of something tragic that happened in his life. He just tried to kill himself because there was nothing to his life. He felt like he was nothing. He tells Jerry that he couldn't possibly understand 
because he's always had this ragtag bar full of cripples to root him on to greatness and tell him that he's the best. But none of them have that for themselves. And through his time at the bar, Rory has come to realize, But I'm not nothing, Jerry. I'm something. I'm big, Jerry. I'm big. Big! <laughs> big. Bigger than you. But that's not hard to be. Rory gives Jerry permission never to come back to Max's bar if he doesn't feel like it. You don't have to come by Max's anymore, Jerry. We don't need your kind of cripple there. Have a good game, Jerry. He leaves Jerry alone on the court, and Jerry turns to throw a basketball, aiming, I assumed, at the opposite hoop, but accidentally hitting the hanging scoreboard with his mm. frustration. We cut back to Rory's crappy apartment where he's doing sit-ups against his bed and he hears a knock at the door. It's Louise and she's here to apologize for everything. It turns out she also went to speak with Jerry right after their talk. She didn't realize that he'd already spoken with Rory and suspects that Jerry had a terrible day. Rory is trying not to listen to what she says to protect himself until she forces him to hear that she broke it off with Jerry because she's in love with him. She told Jerry that they were lovers, even though technically they aren't. And she eventually has to straddle Rory on the floor to even get him to listen to her. And suddenly they're kissing again. Well, Which I feel like this shouldn't have gone back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rory's an idiot. But I mean, I I was worried they were going to hook him up with Anne at the end of the story. And I was like, I'd rather have him with this girl than Anne. But yeah, oh yeah, I would rather. Be, but, but no, like. There's also other people. There's more than the two yeah. women. We cut to the next day at the bar, and Jerry walks in, much to everyone's surprise. A hush falls over the crowd as they wait for him to explain himself. Jerry finally admits to the guys why he never comes to the bar. He says essentially that he's superstitious, and he thought that coming back to the bar full of cripples would make him a cripple again, and it would hurt his performance, which is as lame an excuse as i'm scared of having sex with a cripple yeah was earlier both of these people seem completely insensitive and they're also not acting rationally so i don't feel sorry for them but jerry shares rory's observation with the bar that he is a cripple emotionally as a person he's a different kind of cripple and jerry understands now that he's the only real cripple in the bar it seems like Blue Lewis wants this conversation to be over, so he interrupts to tell Jerry, hey, Alvin was looking for you, but Jerry says, well, that's too bad, because I'm quitting the team, and I won't be playing tonight for the Warriors. In the middle of this announcement that he's quitting, Stinky bets the table 3-1 to one that Jerry will play tonight. You lose, Stinky. Hey, you got any tickets for tonight's game? Why? Because you're not gonna fuck around with our dream. Your dream? Yeah. You've taken an awful lot from everyone here, Jerry. Don't take any more. Rory tries to explain that Jerry's dream wasn't just for him, that his success is a feather in the cap of everyone here, and they're all living vicariously through him. Jerry, if you blow this, we've all been robbed. Rory and Jerry hug, and it seems like the game's back on, meaning Stinky just made some money if anyone was stupid enough to bid <laughs> in the last 15 seconds. Also, I, I don't like this twist either. That they talk him into going back into the game because it matters to them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm not in the in the frame of, like, they should hold a grudge for him forever. But this guy... Eh. Well, I, I get that for them it was going to be at least, like, hey, at the very least I could have said, he used to be my friend. But yeah. now it's like, who used to be your friend? Nobody mm -hmm. knows because he never played his first game. Right. Here, after two full scenes with him, Jerry finally notices that Rory has shaved his beard i don't know how people aren't noticing this sooner because i honestly wouldn't even recognize yeah, him I'd, if we hadn't yeah. like cross cut from bearded yes. face to clean that night the bar is packed and the sports show is on again the reporter catches up with jerry coming out of practice and he takes a moment to say hi to the guys at max's bar after hours most of the bar empties out to the nearby bus stop because they're all headed to the game except for max and a couple other employees because this bar has never closed in its 25 year history but what better excuse than this, they decide, 
and move to lock the shop up and all head out together. Rory offers to go back to the bar to make sure the doors are locked when he encounters Anne. She asks him for a light and asks if he's looking for a good time because she doesn't recognize him either because of his beard being shaved. <laughs> he reminds her who he is and she says, oh, Rory, that's great. Do you have $25? And he just gives her the money, which I feel like, don't give this person money. Rory asks if she knows anything about Jerry and she seems to think she does. So she says, oh, yeah, he's still working that dead end job. He's going to be there forever with his bum leg. And she doesn't know that the guy that she dumped for being poor is now a millionaire or a multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. She walks away and Rory gets the place locked up before joining his friends on the bus. At the game, this is where the movie should have ended. The bus pulls away from the bus stop. That's, yeah. the, end the, that's the end of your movie. At the game, everyone is settling down to watch when Lucius Porter enters with some friends. All the guys from the bar look around like this is a portent of doom. I don't even know if they remember Jerry from when they beat him up before and he doesn't owe them anything anymore. Yeah. There's no reason they would go after him, especially not in the middle of a game where he's actually protected by a security team. Right. Either way, Rory decides that this is a problem and he trips Lucius at the top of the stairs and he and his friends go tumbling down these concrete steps. And it looks like at the bottom that Lucius has broken an arm or something as he's being carried away. And this is when Jerry finally notices all the commotion and He recognizes Lucius, and then he looks up the steps to Rory and realizes what Rory did. So Rory stands and raises a fist and says, Jerry! Jerry! Rory! And we freeze frame on this feathered split screen between them that makes them look like a two-headed monster as the credits (laughs) roll over the end of our film. It should have just ended with the bus pulling away. Or better yet, ended with he refuses to give Anne the money, and then she shivs him to death. Yeah, um, front of Max's bar, <laughs> yeah. like like this like really tragic end yeah. that you didn't expect. It's like, oh my god, why did that guy die? And over the credits is, I, I'm assuming it's a the whole cast and crew over the credits. I guess, yeah. During during the credits, the credit roll, there's a photograph of Max's bar, but there's like like 70 people. Oh yeah, probably then. It's probably all those people squeezed into that one Echo Park garage. I'm going to go ahead and admit that after the freeze frame, I just screamed what and turned the TV off. (laughs) (laughs) You guys never watch past the credits. That's why you don't see. This isn't an Avengers film, Richard. (laughs) That's why you don't see Barnabas Collins fly away as a bat. (laughs) Director Richard Donner, he directed The Omen. He directed Superman. He directed half of Superman 2. He directed all the Lethal Weapons, Lady Hawk, Goonies, Scrooged. Writer Valerie Curtin, we mentioned her fairly recently for having played the Judy Burnley character, the Jane Fonda role in the 9 to 5 television series. As we mentioned there, she is also cousin to Jane Curtin. She is the writer of films like And Justice for All, Best Friends, and Toys. Well, her and Barry Levinson are writing yes. partners. Yeah. Were, I think they were married. Oh, were they? Earlier this year, she also appeared as Mrs. Bach in Why Would I Lie? She also appears in Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Big Trouble in 86, not to be confused with Big Trouble in Little China in 86. Writer Barry Levinson was the writer on Silent Movie and High Anxiety for Mel Brooks. He also wrote Diner, Tootsie, Toys, Sleeper. Uh, He also directed Diner. He directed, yeah, and then he directed The Natural, Young Sherlock Holmes, Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, Bugsy, Toys, Wag the Dog, Sphere, etc. Lots of good stuff. Novelist Todd Walton, just this on his IMDb page. Music here was from John Barry. He, of course, wrote the famous James Bond theme. We had him earlier this year for Raise the Titanic, Somewhere in Time, and Touched by Love. He also did Dances with Wolves and Out of Africa. Cinematographer Laszlo Kovacs had done Heartbeat, for this year, 1980, and 5EZ Pieces for 1970 in our Patreon review. He also is the DP for Ghostbusters, Easy Rider, Close Encounters, Slither, Nickelodeon, and Multiplicity. I didn't know he did Slither. Yeah, the the early Slither. Oh, okay, not yeah. the James Gunn no. Slither. Okay, correct. Editor Frank Morris was the editor on Charlie Varick, The Earthling earlier this year, Romancing the Stone, Short Circuit, and Bird on a Wire. John Savage played Rory. He's Steve in Deer Hunter. He's Claude in Hair. And he's Sergeant Macron in The Thin Red Line. 
David Morse plays Jerry Maxwell. This was his first role. He's also Dr. Peters in 12 Monkeys. He's Ted Arroway in Contact. Brutus Brutal Howell in The Green Mile. Bill Houston in Dancer in the Dark. And for some reason, the first thing I always think of is a show that he did where he played a sort of Travis Bickle. He was a crime-fighting taxi driver who hmm. had retired from the police force called Hack. Do you remember that show? Uh, he was the lead character. It was on like NBC uh, or something. Hmm. Uh, I, I know he comes back to work with Richard Donner again, at least in uh, 16 Blocks. Oh, right. The, the more recent one. Diana Scarwood played Louise. She got an Oscar nomination for this, as we said. She also plays Christina Crawford in Mommy Dearest next year. But she's the adult version of that. Christine is the, is the daughter in that film. Yes, I understand that she's the daughter in that film, but she plays the adult version of the daughter in that film. I think she's very young adult, like teen to young adult. Okay, I'm just saying she's already an adult here, and this right. is next sometimes year. Sometimes people so. play adults, and sometimes those same people play children. But the kid in that movie is like a six-year-old kid. Is it? Anyway, she's credited as adult Christina, so <laughs> gonna, Well, that could have saved that. us a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> She plays Christina Crawford in Mommy Dearest next year. Obviously, the old version. <laughs> Nobody would think anything else. Uh, <laughs> she's Jody. <laughs> she's Jody in What Lies Beneath. She's Maureen Coyle in Psycho 3. She plays Mother Superior on Pushing Daisies. For that- you. That well, I was gonna say it if you didn't call it out, but actually, I didn't remember her from Pushing Daisies. She's also Karen she's Tyler Car- on Wonderful. She's Falls. the mom on Wonderful. Is and she the mom? Like, yeah, and I was like, I recognize her. Yeah, because I love. I uh, I'm a sucker for pretty much anything Brian Fuller does. Yeah. yeah. Amy Wright played Anne. She was Shelley in Stardust Memories earlier this year. That was the lady who surprised Woody Allen by being in his bed when he got into his hotel. She's also Jackie in Amityville Horror. She's Nancy in Breaking Away with Dennis Christopher. And she's also in The Burning. Uh, nope, she's not. She's not in The Burning. <laughs> Disregard, folks. False alarm. <laughs> she's also the realtor in The Burning Building in Synecdoche, New York. Sorry. <laughs> it's late. Tony Burton played Lucius, Lucius Porter. He was Durkin in The Shining earlier this year. He rented a, a snow cat to, to Scatman. He's Garbage Man 2 in The Hunter. I don't remember Garbage Man in there, but he was in there. And he was the bald guy who Gene Wilder slapped on the back of the head and stir crazy. <laughs> Did you get it? Oh, there it is. Right on the end of your nose. <laughs> Uh, and he's also Duke in the Rocky movies, which I think is Apollo Creed's trainer. Uh, Bill Henderson played Blue Lewis. Love Bill Henderson. I could have sworn that we've talked about him already this year, but I can't figure out what because he wasn't in anything else this year. What about 1970? No, 19, not 1970 either. Um, but he plays the cop in Clue. He's Casper Lindley in Buckaroo Bonsai. He's Ben Jessup in City Slickers. And he's the speaker at Fred the Dorf Dorfman's ceremony <laughs> in Fletch. Um, he also appears as a gas station attendant in MacGyver episode Birthday. Mm. He is also in another Richard Donard film. Superman? No, he's in uh, Maverick. Dunes. Oh, Maverick, mm. okay. Yeah. Is he a poker player or something? He is a poker player in Maverick with another cast member from this movie. Who? Uh, Bert Rems- Remsen. Oh, okay, cool. Stinky. Stinky. And That's great because they guy, play poker in this, and then he put them and, at the same table. And Steve Kahn, uh, who is Bert. Bert. Yeah. Bert plays Stinky, and yeah. Steve plays Bert. <laughs> there, there's a lot yeah. of random people in Maverick. Corey Feldman is in Maverick. Did they just populate every scene on the on the riverboat with like all, every gambler is just a friend of Richard Donner's? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Steve Kahn was Bert. He plays Captain Murphy in the Lethal Weapon movies. He's also Captain Healy in Demolition Man and Captain Nilsson in Free Willy 2. He's also credited as Officer 1 in Superman, which was his only credit before this. So another Richard Donner movie. Jack O'Leary played Max as the owner of the bar who has the heart attack. He played the floor walker in Brubaker earlier this year. 
That's one of the wardens that was torturing prisoners. He's also Earl in Death Valley and a reporter in Goonies. We'll cover his appearance in 1980's On the Nickel for that film's 41st anniversary. Burt Remsen played Stinky. He was a bartender in Dick Tracy. He plays Commander Cates in Code of Silence. We also had him as Delno Baptiste in Carney earlier this year. And he was Carl J. Richards in Borderline. That's the owner of the farm where Ed Harris is smuggling everybody through. Harold Russell played Wings. He won an Academy Award for his portrayal of Homer Parrish in Best Years of Our Lives in 46, which was his first film ever, and this was his second film ever, 34 years later. Oh, wow. Director Richard Donner had to talk him into a sabbatical from his position as the head of the U.S. President's Commission for Affirmative Action on Hiring the Handicapped to appear in this role. Pepe Serna played Harada. He was Rooster in Honeysuckle Rose earlier this year. He's also Lieutenant Garcia in The Rookie, Angel in Scarface, and Reno, Nevada in The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Harold Sylvester played Alvin Martin. He's Pete Blanchard in Inner Space. He's Perryman in An Officer and a Gentleman. And he was Griff on Married with Children, Al's co-worker at the shoe store, starting in season nine, which is definitely what I recognize him from yeah. the most. Margaret Fairchild played Claire. That was Stinky's girlfriend. She was Mrs. Kerouac in Heartbeat earlier this year. Uh, That's Jack Kerouac's mother. Yeah. And uh, she's also Mother Superior in Mommy Dearest next year. So Mother Superior and two Mommy Dearest actresses. (laughs) William Frank Father played Friar. Uh, He was Whitey Jackson, the albino hitman in Foul Play. He plays Barney in Target MacGyver a macgyver episode he's mr franklin in death becomes her and he's schwartz in harry and the hendersons lee frazier was heavy number one uh lee frazier is a writer on she-man princess of power and challenge of the gobots charles mcdaniel played teddy uh charles mcdaniel is chunk's father in goonies Mm. and francesca p roberts played hooker she is Marina R. Brickford in Legally Blonde. She's Martha Coe in Hard to Kill. But most importantly, she played Big Bertha, bouncer at the Boom Boom Bar in the severely underrated Super Mario Brothers movie. All right, what are we thinking list-wise? I, I think this down. is this is a down, down for me. This is a definite down. It's not necessary. I really like this movie. What? <laughs> I, like, I like the three old guys. I... I, I... I, I wanted this to be more of Rory's movie, I guess, because I, f- I feel like Jerry, this whole Jerry business, and I don't like how it ends. And I like David Morrison. I like his performance. Yeah, and I, but... and I, I, I like John Savage's performance. I think the the way he, he carried himself and kind of doing that kind of just maybe a slight head injury yeah. kind, of, kind of person where – especially during the basketball game when he's just repeating everything Jerry says because he doesn't know what's going on. Right. He's like a little bit spaced when he's trying to figure out drink orders. Like I I felt like everything about the way that was like felt real about a person who had had some kind of brain trauma. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I I enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, Like I said, I got really frustrated in, in the third act and with just like, oh, I really wanted to be with you. It's like, then why were you with Jerry at all? Yeah. Like the guy who's clearly a jerk. Uh, and and I just didn't want Jerry to come back. I, I really didn't, like all, all, all well wishes to him for his new career, but I really didn't want him to come back and to be accepted back. Yeah. Um, that would have been a more fitting end for the, for him to have, him to have just learned that oh i'm not welcome there anymore because of what i did to these people yeah and how i treated them i would have been happy but instead everyone gets forgiven for all of their trespasses except for lucius we're just like oh fuck this guy though yeah yeah even though he's done with his problems with us we're just gonna break his fucking arm in the middle of this game yeah i didn't like this movie i mean i i don't have a problem with any of the performances i think the acting yeah. is fine, and and like you said, the the guys in the bar are funny, but yeah. that's about all this movie has going for it. I, I, I agree. The writing I did not like. I didn't. I didn't like the characters. I didn't like either characters. Like I, I don't know who I'm supposed to care about in this movie. Yeah, Everybody and I, d- I don't feel like 
the the two characters that I'm supposed to sympathize with because they quote unquote redeemed themselves didn't really do it in a satisfying way. Like who, like you said, I who 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 is the Jerry and Louise. Okay. Yes. I feel like both of them were supposed to by the end of the movie go, all right, they they paid their dues and they've earned our respect back and it's like no, they really haven't yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally all she did was like, I'm good now. And there and he was like, "Oh, okay, great. Then I guess you're you're a great person now because you said so." And same and with Jerry. Jerry basically. does nothing. Yeah, yeah. Jerry does nothing. Jerry just comes in and drinks a beer and goes, "You're welcome, guys." By the way, I'm gonna ruin your dreams by quitting the team. And they're like, "Please don't do that." And he's like, "You love me." Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we didn't say that. We just said, "Don't quit" because we want to know a warrior. Yeah. Um, numbers. I have this one at ninety nine. All right, that's pretty close to where I have it. I have it below Smokey and the Bandit 2 and above Borderline. All right, Richard? Uh, I have it at 45. Ooh. It's way up there. Um, just below Private Benjamin and above Night of the Juggler. Did you have traumatic brain injury? That <laughs> like, I mean, maybe you sympathize more with this character, which caused you to put it at that 45. <laughs> well, he did fall on a Pontiac once. I have it in 101 which is just under Death Ship and just above Night of the Juggler. So we both have it above Night of the Juggler. Yeah. Which was a good movie. You're both wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, Jess doesn't like that. Night of the Juggler's in her top four. That's not no, it's accurate, not. <laughs> but it's high. It's, it's higher It was than in yours. your top 50? Where do you have Night of the Juggler? It's too high, it's probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's at 17. 17? Wow, that is too high. Um I really liked it. Yeah, I know you did. (laughs) I think that's everything for this one. What is this movie called? (laughs) Inside Moves, which I don't get. What is that title about? I don't get it. What is it about? It's a basketball thing, huh? Like you, Yeah. Inside Moves is where you're like keeping the ball close to your chest because you don't want to tell people that you're scared of them for being broken. But what's the double meaning? Like, I assume that we're supposed to talk like – like their most of the scenes are stuff? interiors <laughs> i don't know i think that's everything for inside moves if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram letterbox where as i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Jazz Singer, which is actually the first sound film. We'll finally have sound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. Uh, which IMDb describes like so. The son of a Jewish cantor must defy the traditions of his religious father in order to pursue his dream of being a popular singer, also known as the idol maker. Mm. We leave you now with the trailer for The Jazz Singer. This will be our first trailer with sound. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. You can just I've hear just been the cutting face. silence in at the end of every episode. concert he has played to sold out crowds wherever he has appeared on record he has sold more than 50 million copies as a composer he has written songs recorded by virtually every major star and now he brings his unique talents to the motion picture screen in his first starring role Neil Diamond is the jazz singer. The classic story of a man torn between family. Pop, I have things inside of me. I have to express them. I have my music. I have my life, my feelings. And fame. I just don't want to go through life thinking I could have been. Between what he is expected to do. You can't change what has always been. I love my father. I'll never do anything to hurt him. But I'm going to L.A. with you or without you. I am going to L.A. And what he was born to do. Love on the rocks. 
It ain't no big surprise. Those are palm trees. Just pour me a drink. Just welcome to California. Yesterday's gone. Now all I want is a smile. All right, one number scale, one song, two and a half minutes. Three. Two and a half. Oh, all right, two and a half. All right, three. A fine new oh, young singing you. talent, Jeff Robbins. Hey, Cherry, if I take you home, will you make me bleed? Jeff tells me you've been a great help to him. I mean, every time we talk, it's Molly did this and Molly did that. Will you close the door? Please forgive me, but 3,000 miles away, you begin to wonder if he's telling me everything Molly did. I'm not your problem, Rivka. That's your problem. Hello, my friend. Hello. It's good to need you so. The jazz singer. The story of a man born to be a star. When I hear you say. And the woman who wanted to see him make it. Hello. Lawrence Olivier, Lucy Arnaz, and Neil Diamond. The Jazz Singer.